Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economic. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 to 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money from the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35,000 of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you. And O'Reilly, they can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisoners in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March what? Who cares? Marches never change anything.
chicken wings for that money, even though they was no good. But you do get something for your money. But when you put your money in the church bucket, what do you get back? Hope and a future after you die. And my position on that, if I have to die to experience heaven, I don't need that religion. Mm. Anyone who tells me that I should be content with accepting hell on earth, when the white man has his heaven here, and the Chinese man has his heaven here, and the Arab and East Indian has his heaven here, and they're even building their heaven in my ghetto, and you're telling me I got to die in order to experience what they are getting right now? That's a religion I don't need because that's a religion for servitude. And so we have to put the black church to task and ask them, what are you doing without Jesus money? Let me tell you what they're doing with your Jesus money. Every black church in America has their money in a white bank. It is the white banks that are funding the regentrification ethnic cleansing movement. So all of us go to church. We put $3 million in the church coffers every Sunday. $3 million goes to a white bank every Sunday. And guess what they do on Monday? They take $3 million of black people's white Jesus money, and they give loans to white land developers and businesses and entrepreneurs to come into the ghetto where the church is located, buy up all the property, and force grandma out on the street homeless. Now, grandma been going to that church for 30 years. Grandma been giving that church $50 every Sunday. And lo and behold, grandma had to finally face the reality that it was your Jesus money that put your ass on the street. Mm. And today's podcast is titled, Is Blexit Underground Railroad 2.0? Is Blexit Underground Railroad 2.0? For those of you who are not familiar with the word or name Blexit, that stands, it's spelled B-L-E-X-I-T, it basically means blacks or African oil blacks that are exiting the Democratic Party. This well, just exiting the Democratic Party. They could be going to the Republican Party, Libertarian Party, going independent, but they're exiting what they call the plantation of the Democratic Party. Um so is it is it the new Underground Railroad 2.0? Because the, the Underground Railroad essentially were were people that were legally classified as slaves, but they they didn't see it that way. So uh, they went uh, underground, so to speak. Now with with blacks, you, you know, it's it's all above board. I, I mean, um, they're not hiding. Um, but then again, maybe some are because the moment you say you're, you're not Democrat and you're African American, you called all kind of names. So in any in any event, um, just like uh, like basically what a Republican is. This is just LA's definition. You can call them and chime in on it. Is a person who wants less government, particularly in their personal lives, less government in their, in their personal lives, right. <clears throat> which means less taxes, less less regulation, government regulation, that is. All right. So, Blexit, 
group of black folk that on a critical mass basis, they want less government. They're really not gun-ho on entitlement programs. You know, they're not rooting for Section 8 certificates or EBT cards. Or You'll find more of the, of the entrepreneurial type uh, of African-American um, I would say that's in the Blexit Kent. Not all of them, but a good portion of them. So, anyway, that's the question of the day. I'm waiting for some building materials to come in. So it's like I can take, we can take some calls and play some music or play an audio clip because you know they, they, you know they can be, they can be here anytime between eight thirty and now. So. In any event, um, let's just do this little short musical interlude, then come back and see what people think about answering the question. Is Blexit the new, I mean, is Blexit Underground Railroad 2.0? Thank you. 
Dr. Werner von Braun, who's considered by many as the father of the space program. He said, the natural law... For most golfers, the obstacles to playing well are sand traps and long irons. But for one Ohio man, they were prejudice and ignorance. Scott Newell shows us how a never-give-up attitude became the key to building one of America's historic golf courses. Turn at the sign that says Clearview, and you'll probably see Bill Powell on his dream golf course. This is the kind of type of course that a beginner can play and a very low handicap golfer can play and enjoy it. Bill knows every fairway slope, every tree branch, every green. That's because Bill Powell built Clearview literally from the ground up, giving deeply of himself. He made a lot of sacrifices on his physical body because he spent a lot of hours doing a lot of labor on the golf course, and which certainly was not good from a health and a physical standpoint. For Bill, the road to building this club wasn't nearly as easy as the long one that leads to the clubhouse. By the time he was 22, Bill was already passionate about golf. In the Army during World War II, Bill played on English courses, but was stunned when he returned to the United States to find few clubs wanted blacks to play. The attitude of people when you're treated real nice, welcome on foreign soil and you're welcome and on different courses and I, I, just very distasteful for me. So Bill Powell decided to forge his own course. Back in 1946, this was nothing but 78 acres of dairy farm with this stream ambling through these gently rolling hills. But Bill Powell saw this as something completely different. He envisioned a green just about over there. You see a plot of land that you think would be great to develop as a golf course, but then how are you going to buy it? How are you going to pay for it? So that was one of his number one challenges. Bill borrowed the money from a couple of his golf students. Then, between working nights as a security guard, he began to make his dream a reality. And working 16 to 18 hours a day on the course, work on my job, work on a course. Couldn't wait till daylight came so I could get out work on the course. Bill designed Clearview himself using the terrain as a painter would use a canvas. And you visualize a golf course and you, you see just the, the land. Instant you know what you can do with it. He modeled it after the British courses he had seen during the war. What he did was used all the natural elements that were here, and there's a stream that runs all through the golf course, and, and he built the, you know, the course around that, and the landing areas, you know, he put in certain places, and, and the direction that the holes run, and, and everything, the way the trees are, and, and the boundaries, and so, and the whole terrain, you know, the hills, and he used all that. It's all such a very natural golf course. Now, more than a half century later, Clearview stands as the first public course to be designed, built, and owned by an African-American. The family has all pitched in to make Clearview a success. Son Larry maintains the grounds when he's not doing the books. This is so that you've really spent a lot of time trying to perfect it. 
daughter Renee, herself a pioneer on the okay. LPGA Tour, now enjoys her role as Clearview's pro. She takes time to get to know nearly everyone who visits. It's a family affair. Everybody in the family has subsidized this golf course uh, to make it last. And uh, they've sacrificed their jobs. Clearview is now a home to many golfers around East Canton, Ohio, about an hour's drive southeast of Cleveland. Young and old appreciate Bill Powell's mission to make a course where everyone is welcome to play. They like the family touch. It's not the big C where people are just like, yeah, you're here, nobody really cares. I mean, yeah. these people actually, some of them actually know our names. Cliff Fennell grew up thinking he could never afford to play golf. Since it's right here in the heart of the community, and I've been made aware that it isn't as expensive as I thought, and uh, you just basically give a call or come in and, and get right on the course. Uh, and, and that means a lot. And many know what it took to put it all together. I have nothing but praise and admiration for Bill Powell and his family that backed him up. They've, they've got a good thing going. The Powell's achievement has earned Clearview the distinction of being a national landmark. Just recently, it was dedicated one of Ohio's historical places as part of the state's upcoming bicentennial celebration. What are you most proud of of this golf course? Everything. I'm proud of everything about the golf course. I'm proud that it has survived. Over a half century, under adverse conditions, adverse climate, adverse attitudes. Nearly 85 years old, Bill is still out there working on putting in a new green. He knows that all this hard work has paid off and will for generations of future golfers. I've always felt that golf was a particular sport it should not be sandlot. There's certain things golf requires you to do, and hope this course will carry on. The dignity of a sport. All right, now, today's podcast is titled, Is Blexit Underground Railroad 2.0? I played that clip of Bill, uh, the late Bill Powell, uh, who started uh, Clearview Golf Course, he and his wife. Started uh, Clearview Golf Course up in Ohio. They did it during the Jim Crow era period of time, like towards the end of it. Uh, they didn't do it with, they did it with zero government funds, no entitlement programs, none of that. No affirmative action, none of that. Private funding, as you heard from some of his uh, golf, uh, golf students, because he was a golf pro. Um, he validated himself. He and his wife, they validated themselves. Uh, it's in the next generation now because his children run it. Uh, we, matter of fact, we're going to try to get at least one of them on. Um, Republican. Less government. He did this. He and his wife, Bill Powell's wife, put together Clearview Golf Course with no government help. And I, maybe there's another one, but I haven't heard of it yet. That's the only African-American-owned public golf course in the, in that, well, that's open. It's a private golf course open to the public. 
Now I know the the golf course will majority of blacks play is one in D.C. I'm going to wait on to my tongue. Um, but that's the kind of things that blacks who want less government do. Very entrepreneurial. Bill Powell, he did about bank loans, too. He, bought a, uh, he and his wife bought an 80-acre dairy farm and converted it into Clearview Golf Course, like I said, we still exist today. Once again, the title of our podcast today is Blexic Underground Railroad 2.0. Um, midterm elections are coming up. Will Black still, African Americans still overwhelmingly Democratic? Are, or is, or are they leaving the Democratic plantation in noticeable numbers? Uh, black folks leaving the Democratic Party on a critical mass basis. That That's the question for today. We'll probably ask at, put it at back out there again during the elections and then and during the next you know, major presidential elections. 619-768-2945. Now, um, I'm going in and out. If you want to comment on it, just press 1 because I'm, I'm looking for uh, – the delivery man to deliver my building materials. Uh, and they're supposed to be here between 8 a.m. this morning and 11. So they got four more minutes. And they might not make it in four more minutes, but I've got to be on alert. So um, uh, let's go to 407. Your mic is open. Is Blexit? Underground Railroad 2.0. Good morning, L.A. Um, This is Fiata with Soul Purpose Healing. How are Mm -hmm. you? Better than terrific. Um, Okay, if you watch the news, they didn't have, I don't know if they had on the news, there were over 100 black conservatives at the White House. And there was a huge hashtag walkaway campaign um, I believe in Washington, D.C. this past week. Uh, so, yes, um, not only are blacks leaving the Democratic Party, but um, they're also walking away from any liberal activities that are not uh, serving them and the community. And then the thing about um, the underground railroad you mentioned, we are we are building on sole purpose healing and in my blog talk family, we're building an overground railroad because we are presenting to um, the um, to America, society, whatever, the idea that we have to have locations throughout the country that provide healing uh, spots. We are we're establishing along with myself and Kwame. Uh, Sun Horse. We're establishing locations throughout America that bring people together for meditation, for Native American rituals, and for just general detoxing so that we can indeed walk away from the plantation, the Democratic plantation. So, yes, I believe it is going on. 
the media doesn't talk about it as much, but if you go on YouTube, there are thousands of people talking about and uh, working to promote uh, hashtag walk away and, and leaving the Democratic plantation. Okay. I, now, I, I volunteered for two presidential elections thus far. I volunteered, it was just really for one day for Obama's first election because I was talking to a green friend of mine who told me how, I mean, the the grassroots of it and the, and the social media aspect of it. Um, and I was just mesmerized by what she told me went down because I was looking at it from a, a complete marketing standpoint. So the very next day, um, I went, actually, I, yeah, I volunteered and then uh, I went to several um, meetings at people's homes, organizers' homes or whatever who are basically green people and then actually uh, help somebody with a, a green campaign in the state of Maryland. But um, let me ask you this. Al Sharpton, I understand, was bad-mouthing, uh, like you said, there were a group of uh, Blexit uh, young folk that went to the White House, Candace Owens, several others, went to the White House, and I understand, I didn't hear it yet, but I understand Al Sharpton was bad-mouthing these young black uh, Blexicans, probably Republican, and once again, all Republican means is less government. I, myself, personally, I'm ex- really extreme. I'm to the I'm to the left of the Republicans. If you had to put a label on it, maybe libertarian. But I, if really, if I were king of the United States, which I'm not, because the United States doesn't have a king, there would be anarchy, I, no government, self government. That's where I'm at with it. If somebody's in your house and you don't want them there, put it to pick this shit up and throw it out. You don't have to call the police. You are the de facto police. But, of course, I'm not king of the United States. But. However, there are places where you can be basically a de facto anarchist uh, to a certain degree. Now, give me back to that question. So if you heard about, you know, Al Sharpton bad-mouthing or I don't know if you have, but what's your comment on that if you haven't? Bad-mouthing. Blacks that want less government. Yeah, I saw part of a, a YouTube um, uh, presentation on Al Sharpton bad mouthing black conservatives. Al Sharpton is outdated. They made it was so funny. They were talking about his his processed hair and his big head. They, the guy made a joke about him. this is a brother too. So. Um, Black people are waking up to Al Sharpton's motives and his uh, agenda, and they kind of ignore him. I don't know too many um, blacks in my circle of friends that even listen to him or think he's legitimate in any way. So whatever he said, it just flew over, I think, the heads of especially the conservatives, but most blacks don't even pay attention to him. I put him and Jesse Jackson, I I consider those two extortionists. 
this shakedown artist because that's basically how they got on the, on on the radar. Basically, it, it, you know, going to white corporations saying if you don't do this or that or other, we're going to basically embarrass you. That's extortion. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you know, even with the, on the book, it's extortion. You were saying even we got you know here in Florida we got a black man running for governor. And um, everybody's all excited. We could have the first black governor. But I've I've watched some YouTube videos of other black men saying Gilliam is a con artist. And to me, that's what I believe about this man. So I'm having a hard time whether I'm going to vote for anybody because I don't like the Republican candidate either. I don't like Gilliam. I don't like – and I don't look – you know, black folks tend to see a black face running for office, and they went, oh, yeah, we can have a new a black brother or sister in there. But they don't think about his um, character and the lobbyists backing him and all the other things that this person and the Democratic. You got Hillary Clinton getting ready to come here and support Gilliam. Now, that ought to be a sign for anybody that this guy is not legitimate and he's, and he's not totally honest. And that he's so hooked into the Democratic Party that you're going to get the same old, same old if you put Gilliam in the governor's office. But that's the way we think, you know, oh, the fact that we got to vote. Even Georgia, the same thing about the black woman running for governor there. Because there's a black face running, black people think we're all supposed to get behind her. But I go a little deeper than that and look at who they're associated with. Anybody associated with Hillary Clinton, Obama, and uh, the rest of the Democratic uh, faces, we Debbie Wasserman, I'm steering far, far away from them because we're going to get the same old BS that we got from the Democratic Party all these years. Okay. The question of the day is, is Blexit Underground Railroad 2.0? And basically we all know what the Underground Railroad, it was essentially – predominantly African-American slaves that wanted freedom and freedom. You know what? Freedom costs. Freedom costs. Just like it did then, it does now. Now, it might not, you know, the stakes not might be life, take, uh, you know, taking your life in your hand when you leave the plantation. But now when you leave, you know, because, you know, even then, if another slave knew another slave might be leaving the plantation, be the underground, you know, running away, then you might get snitched on, and then that slave would be beaten and this, that, and other. Now you're being called names. Now we're being called Coons, Stevens, Stephen Fetchett. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. And you know, LA, that that underground railroad was supported by white folks uh, along the way. Where it wasn't just all black families in underground railroad. There were white folks uh, uh, who were supporting anti-slave, rebellious people that were supporting it. So the same thing goes for the overground railroad to somebody consciously doing doing the. Multicultural right. well, well, basically, yeah. Independence, you know, not you know, less dependence on the government. Anyway, let's go to. We got a bunch of phones. On, I mean, uh, lines on this. Is Blexit, Blexiting the well, the Democratic plantation going anywhere? They can go independent. 
they can go Republican, Libertarian. They can go either, but but they're they they're, they're not doing the Republican thing. I mean, not excuse me, they're not doing the Democratic thing anymore. That's the question of day. Let's go to two eight one area code. You're not today. Yeah. Good morning, LA. This is Warren. How you doing this morning? Good. Good morning. Well, I'm glad you called me. <laughs> well, after looking at the. Uh, the title for this morning, I couldn't resist it. I couldn't stay away from it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the ratings in the black community uh, had a poll rating of blacks uh, supporting Trump. We moved from a low-digit percent up to 35% here recently. And along with some of the things that Viata has spoken about as far as uh, him inviting blacks to the uh, White House, what has happened, basically? The first mistake black people make is that we're very emotional. So we really don't understand politics, and a lot of us didn't have the history. So we've been voting based off of emotions and what we have perceived to believe. Uh, But a lot of people are waking up because largely a majority of Hollywood and journalism, news, a lot of those people are largely Democrats. So they've controlled the mass media, uh, you know, for a very long time. Uh, but, you know, even I had been teaching about this before a lot of this stuff hit mainstream media. I've been teaching this stuff in, in the People's Law Study group, trying to wake people up for several years now. But I think the time has just come to where the Republican Party realized that they can no longer be silent uh, because of the threat or uh, uh, the danger of the mob rule taking over. And if that ever completely happens, and, and what people, what the, what the Republicans know at this time, is that. Uh, America that we knew would actually be gone. It would be no more. And again, I am really even more grateful for Trump because Trump is basically the true picture of a Republican as opposed to what we've had in office as Republicans. Um, So definitely, uh, what do you call it, Blexit? I think that it's definitely happening. More and more people wake up and say we're at an inevitable stage Um, because, again, on this level you have globalism versus nationalism so trump is a nationalist which means basically for america and this globalist attitude is that uh we're going to make everybody the same and everybody one and everybody equal i think that is crazy i think that is uh uh, (laughs) that's an idea that uh, that does not have any basis in reality you know even if we were in the hunter and gathering stages um you know we would have to go out and individually or, or in a group of our own peers or whatever, however it works. And we would hunt whatever we bring in. We would bring that in for our families. Our outside family couldn't right. just sit over and look and say, you know, you have to give us some of yours because we didn't want to get up and go hunt that day. You know, it doesn't work that way. So, you know, you get what you work for. So um, I'm definitely with it. Well, now, let me ask you this one because that's the example you brought up. The, the the, the blacks that are leaving the Democratic Party, demographically within African-American communities, who are they? Because you do have a significant number, I don't know what the percentage is, of black folks that are at the social services office right now. You have a good number of them that, are, that have Section 8 certificate EBT cards, uh, so you have a number of them that are locked up. Matter of fact, 
Uh, you know what? I, I don't know what the political affiliation of the majority of black men who have been shot in these high-profile police cases, but they probably were probably Democrats. I don't know. But so the the, the black person that is exiting the Democratic plantation party, who are they? What what do they look like? Are they, are they on the fix me? Are they entrepreneurs? I mean, who are they? Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I believe these are just regular people, regular everyday working people that has been, you know, uh, pretty much trained to think a certain way uh, and now thoroughly understanding and waking up to understanding the process and the political process and the history of the parties and how they, how they work. Uh, because as far as uh, the Democratic Party, the only people that were actually benefiting, in my opinion, from the Democratic Party was the the uh, political candidates that were in the party. That's the only black people that were really, in my opinion, benefiting from it. Um, because as a whole, on a majority level, again, you have to look at the policies of uh, democracy that has literally obliterated black families and black communities uh, worldwide. Before the civil rights, uh, uh, right after the civil rights, when a lot of people went largely Democrat, I started voting largely Democrat after the Civil Rights Act of 1965, uh, is when you begin to see the crumble of black communities. Before then, you know, black communities, in spite of what we had to uh, uh, face or battle or obstacles in this country, black communities were intact. We had uh, uh, most, uh, 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 as far as the family rate, children growing up in a two-family household was somewhere between 70 to 80 percent, where I think it's now it's less than 20 percent of children and black growing up in a two-family household. All of these policies that it came has totally obliterated the black family and black community. So when people wake up and they understand the history and see how that happened and was done, then I don't believe they would have any other choice but to leave the Democratic uh, plantation based on that it is the party. You're bringing up a very good point that you still have point. So let's let hone in on the point you just brought up. The black family. A lot of black families have been split up over the last 50-plus years. That's five decades. Mm-hmm. Over, in other words, we'll give this woman, we'll give this black woman a check. You know, where you can have an apartment or what have you. Mm-hmm. These, these giveaways from Uncle whoever, government mm-hmm. However, the father of these kids cannot live here with you. Now, you got five decades ago. Are mm-hmm. those people leaving? Because are they going to give them a buck? That, that's all democratic. You know, the Section 8 and Government programs are basically democratic policies. Right. Right. Will this group of people, I don't know what the sense of the black population is, but will they give up those benefits, if you call them benefits, and try to heal the family, bring, bring the dad back into the house? Well, I don't know if they will. What I do know. Uh, is that Trump has been working to uh, cut down on the entitlement programs, making it not as easy and as comfortable um, as it has been in the past. So 
it's kind of like the eagle that stare at the nest. In other words, the eagle, once she has some eaglets, you know, when she makes that nest, the nest has two sides. One side is padded, and the other side has thorns in it. So as long as they're, they're a baby and they need to be in that nest, she keeps those eaglets on the padded side. Uh, when it's time for them to go out on their own, she turns the nest around and put them on the thorns so that every time they try to rest, they rest on those thorns until they take flight and go out into there and, and make their own way. And so that's what's been happening with Trump as far as these entitlement programs. He's been working to uh, make them uncomfortable and by right should be because people have misused and abused these entitlement programs. I'm not totally against entitlement programs. I've used them myself from time to time. But the entitlement programs should be there, not there to make a career or a uh, a lifetime career out of them, and you have two, three, four generations of welfare people, the entitlement program should be there for when you fall on hard times to use them to get back up on your feet and keep moving. That's what they should be there for, not uh, to make a, make a lifetime career out of it. So I don't know if a lot of people would just, uh, unless they have that ambition in their, in their own mind or heart that they're using it just to get on their feet, a lot of them are not. They're comfortable in those positions, so things have to be made, have to be made, have to be turned uh, to the thorn side of the nest to make them come out of that nest. Well, in this case now, because you have, all right, like if a woman goes to tap on one of these entitlement programs, uh, you know, say so and so is the father. All right, typically, whoever they write down. The father, whether he's biologically the father or not, they have to pay the state back. That's what it, where I see there's a catch 22 situation. You have a lot of men incarcerated right as we speak because, you know, they've got to pay the state back from the money that the mothers are getting. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, once again, will these mothers? give up these benefits and get back on the with the dad. We've been hmm. five decades of that. That's a tough one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, again, looking at the Democratic policies, I, don't really, I guess I really don't know how to answer that, but I can say looking at the Democratic policies, pretty much the state became the man in black women's lives. Uh, because when you again when you look at the home situation, uh, and I'm not you know I'm not with this uh, feminist movement, so I can speak freely whether it affects feminists or not. Uh, the black man is the head of the household, and he is who the black woman is supposed to look for because a man's position is to the word husband itself means house ban. That's what the word husband means. So he bans the house together. He's the pharaoh. He's the protector. You know, he's the watchdog or the guard. He goes out and provides and bring the, bring back for the family to have. And so that was the whole, the whole purpose of a man's position in the home anyway. So when you remove that position and you have him incarcerated or you give the benefits in which the man is supposed to provide, well, then why would the black woman want to look look to him? You know, he's he's basically been lowered. His standards have been lowered in her eyes. So it would uh, another way to remedy this problem uh, is for black men. I think black men has been effeminized uh, through mass media, through television, and things of that sort, and basically growing up in one family households. 
but in order for black men to get back on track, they're going to have to be about their business uh, and not be drawn out about a lot of the stuff that we see on TV and being controlled by women. And they're going to stand up and be men and be about their business. And I think if we can do that, well, which I don't know if that will happen, but if that was something that was possible that could happen on a majority scale, then black men can basically gain back their uh, respect and black women would have no other choice but to follow. Yep, but black men are definitely going to be proactive uh, in this whole thing. But, like the example of uh, uh, when Steve Harvey uh, was invited to meet the Trump, you know how you know how they went in on him. So, uh, oh boy. Well, good morning to you and and the fabulous Warren Houston. How you doing, sir? Good morning, Pianchi. How you doing, brother? The restaurants say they're ready for it. They got bigger pots. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, uh, it exists. And I'm going to tell you one of the simplest reasons to know why it exists. Because, one, all blacks are not poor. Two, they are not those that are poor and that are about the betterment of themselves are not going to remain poor. And you have blacks that's moving up <clears throat> in these income levels as we speak daily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and being in those income levels... You cannot be subscribing to a lot of those democratic policies because they are harmful. One way they are harmful, they are harmful when it comes for you to pass on your wealth to your children because they want to tax it again, even if it's been in a savings account, bank account, where it was taxed when you earned it. Could have been years, decades, or a generation ago. They want to tax it again. Another point. We always talk about blacks owning businesses. Well, hell, they do the same thing on the passing on of a business. In some cases, some business owners have to either sell the entire business or part of the business just to pay the taxes. That is totally ridiculous because a person who has had a business for a long time made modernization to that business a long time ago. And they are still operating on that modernization. Well, we all know that what was new yesterday is old today and must be renewed in order to take you into the future. So if you pass a business on to your siblings, your siblings generally will have to modernize that business so that it can take them into the future. But if you are pending all these ridiculous taxes like these one party likes to impose, you can't do that. So you usually are forced to go out of business unless you come up with some crazy arrangement that in the long run costs money. Wow. And, you know, finally, yes, blacks are moving, uh, gathering on their railroad because they do it quietly. See, blacks that's in some occupations and that's indulging in some professions cannot openly express their feelings because they are surrounded by a lot of toxic, jealous, ill-will-thinking people. 
that would cause them to have problems. <clears throat> we can go back in the past. Hubert Harrison, he was called the Black Socrates. He was a Republican thinking minded during his time of the period around what they called the Harlem Renaissance. Hubert Harris was one of those street corner, step ladder prophets. And the things he was talking about, Du Bois, and I think even Washington too, but I'm not sure, but I know Du Bois did not like. Well, they tried to get him fired from his post office job. Hmm. And you see the same thing today. If you're talking school choice, they will get you fired from that school district. Zaki Baruti, who's the head of the UAPO, no, the APO, African People Party or something like that. He was working in the East St. Louis school district. And he was trying to put things up that commemorate black history and so on, so on, so on. Hell, the Negroes got him fired. <laughs> so that's the way it is. I keep telling people, and they, and they, and they, for some reason, everybody don't want to listen. That's okay. <clears throat> but uh, that's just the way it works. If you try to buck the system, if you go into a public school, hell, I've been snatched off the stage when I was trying to talk to class. Of uh, they had uh, the, the teachers uh, sent the class down to the auditorium. They don't want to. Talk, they don't want you to disseminate that because you're disrupting their their little game. They derive wages, they derive salaries, they derive benefits, they derive pensions. Philadelphia Public Schools, the average teacher's salary, $69,000 a year with another $18,000 a year benefit. But look at the performance of the kids. If the kids don't sit in those desks, then that building gets no allocated what's called the ADA, the average daily uh, attendance income, and then it starts affecting them. So you dig on right there, Ray Roll exists. People, uh, blacks are moving away from that old wretched way of doing things. It does not produce anything uh, tangible. It's there for one thing. It's seemingly, uh, and Al Sharpton needs to be need to be put on a damn post and ran the hell out of town. He's 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 not effective now. At one time he was. Now he's not. He's been put out the pasture, and he just, I mean, it's a total embarrassment. But some people like that. Let them like it. Here here comes the next reality. You got to move away from them because they'll drag your butt down. They would harm you. You got to move away from them. That's it. Okay, point well taken. We're going to open it up. The delivery is here, so I'm going to click a four things. Your mic is open. I'm going to mute myself and just look. Good morning, Brother L.A. How you doing? Good on this one. Good on this one. Uh, before I get into what I got to say, I want to I wanna give honor to my master and savior that gave his only begotten son for this for the redemption of my son, Jesus Christ. And I also want to thank my master for giving me a modern-day Messiah, a modern-day Savior, and a modern-day Jesus Christ from the person of Donald Trump. Because he's going to lead us out of this black folks, out of uh, the pit of despair for us. 
the thing is, to all of those Pharisees and Sadducees out there that forget my Lord and Savior and my Messiah, Donald Trump, I want to say the hell with you. Now, with that being said, <laughs> John Adams says, Facts are stubborn things, and whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passion, they cannot alter the state of facts in other words. So, with that being said, you know, every time I hear somebody talk about entitlement programs, they always say it with a black face in mind. But let me read this in fact further if you got time because I'm getting tired of misinformed, well educated Negroes painting us black folks as uh, the people that's been eating up these entitlement dollars. You know, hear this. Medicaid, forty three percent of them are white, eighteen percent are black, thirty percent of Hispanic. Uh, these uh, welfare programs, 36% of them are Hispanic, 27% of them are white, 29% of them are black. Uh, when it comes to food stamps, uh, let me get it for you because I want to make sure that we hear this. Because you see, we got a bunch of cult folk out there. That always think that we're the ones eating up these entitlement dollars. Uh, it says here that food stamps, 36% of the recipients are white, 25% of them are black, 17% of them are Hispanic. Now, I'm like, I'm like you, brother. I want to get rid of all of these damn entitlement programs because I'm getting tired of these lazy ass, dope. Don't take crackers just eating up my eating up my tax dollars and they're on the government dope. If I had my will about it, I'd get rid of all of the damn entitlement programs because most of the people that's benefiting from these entitlement programs are crackers anyway. So with that being said, you and I are in total agreement because the thing is I'm getting tired of supporting these lazy white folks that can get out there and work like I'm working. Because you know the thing is we, you know it, I know that these Republicans and these Democrats ain't going to get rid of these entitlement programs because it's whites that benefiting the most out of this thing. If it were blacks, they would have gotten rid of this a long time ago. Now, let me give you another fact, Brother L.A., because you know the thing is, we get lost in the suit I'm with you as far as the blacks leaving the Democratic Party. If blacks were on the plantation, Democratic plantation, the people that voted for Obama last election, 93% black, 73% Asian, 71% Hispanic, 69% Jewish. Well, now, if blacks were on the plantation, then these other folks ain't on the damn Democratic plantation, too. So now, I'm with you. I don't think blacks would be Republicans or Democrats, because all of them have shitted black folks and still don't. And, and I heard a recent comment from Kathleen Fitton. You can look it up on YouTube. She was under George, George Bush team. She said that she was in a meeting where the Democrats and the Republicans were sitting there trying to figure out how they could bring Hispanics in. 
because they were trying to get rid of black folks through gentrification. I mean, uh, eugenics. And you know and I know that, hey, Republicans always talk about they're against abortion, but all of them, all of them vote for birth control pills and supplying black parenthood with money so that they can give our girls birth control pills to reduce our birth rate. So when we hear our people speaking on emotion and not facts, the thing is it upsets me because my thing is I think blacks should just get out of both parties and have an independent political party anyway on their own and negotiate between whoever who's going to do the thing for them. And last thing, because I want to hear somebody else say We think black folks are stupid. Just like all these other racial groups, black folks vote their interests. If the Republican Party would come up with something decent and address our needs, we vote for a fucking Democrat. I mean, I'm sorry. We'll vote for a damn Republican. And the thing is, we're getting crumbs if we get it after the white folks are getting it. They don't They don't pass policies and, and make policies for black folks and, and the address when they quote me. They do it for white folks only, and we get a part of it because they have to give us it. Now, this thing about Aaron Sharp and Jesse Jackson, listen, you got Larry Elder, you got Janine Morelli, you got Carol Swing, Carol Swim, Swing, the hell what her name is. You got uh, all strong winds and all of these darn, and you name the conservative hat. And Nigel Ernest, don't forget, Ian Ennis, don't forget him. All of those are just all of those are just boys to us to conservatives. And the thing is, the only time they bring them out of the torches is when they use them to assault and demean us black folks. So the thing is, you got them on the conservative side, too. Now, when Larry Elder and all the rest of these black conservatives jumped up and addressed some of the ills of our black community, then, hey, you got a right to criticize. But I haven't seen one black conservative get up and do a damn thing for black folks and black folks' causes when it's us getting, getting uh, messed over by this system. So the thing is, hey, both sides got criticism that they can match up to these, these different activists. But the thing is, until I see a black conservative get up there and address the needs of the black folks, all of them can go to hell. And I want to hear the rest of these folks say something. Because I'm pissed off this morning. You know, I listen to those uh, percentages you put out, and black folks only represent 13% of the population. You didn't put that percentage out either. I used to drive trucks, and I've been across this whole United States, every state of the Union, every major city. And anywhere there's a large concentration of black folks, you find ghettos. And then, like like Pianchi say, we're not all, you know, a lot of us got money, not all of us. But the large concentration you find, you find black folks in these ghettos, which were sponsored by the Democratic Party, which pretty pretty messed up uh, black folks' thinking. So another thing, a point I want to bring out, too, is you saying you haven't saw the Republicans do anything for the uh, black man. Well, the Republican stands the same as Malcolm X, who basically, didn't see anything, any stance for the Christians who who in the southern part walked down there and did marching. 
uh, marching for civil rights. He thought that was stupid. And anybody put themselves in that position, they deserve what they got to get dog sick on them and everything else. When you're trying to go and sit into a restaurant where you're not wanted, you know, if you decide you want to stay on the plantation, and when you go into the black community and try to explain to black people how to get off the plantation, they don't want to come off the plantation. So what is it that Republicans are supposed to do for black folks when black folks don't want to do for themselves? I would like to know that. Well, my thing is this. What are the Democrats supposed to do for uh, black folks that don't want to do anything for themselves? Well, they've already, they've already, they've let, already convinced me, black me, folks that they're entitled to everything. Let, That's what got black people in this position. Let me say this. I've been in cities, too, and I've traveled around, too. And I've been in the Wyoming's and the North Dakotas and the Iowa's, and I've been in these cities, too, and there's some white ghettos, too. So this thing that you saw, maybe you need to get out a little more because there's some poor white folks down here and down south that are dirt poor that's suffering just like everybody else. So now you can't put that all on black folk. And my, well, my thing concern, is this. It's until, not about... until, until we come up with an agenda and sit down as a group of people and do like Brother L.A. says and say, look, we've got to put some lobbyists on K Street. We ain't going to get nothing from nobody anyway. So well, that I agree. Most of it is on us. So now the thing is, is this. I ain't going with this argument that my white man is better than your white man. Ain't none of them worth a damn until we get together and we sit down and we organize ourselves so we can do what we need to do to get power. So now I ain't getting in this argument about my white man is better than your white man. Well, that's not my argument, brother. My argument is not about white man versus who white man is better than what white man. My argument, if there's any argument at all, is based on policy. Now, if one policy policy is is put out to entitlement programs to make you play the victim, because, see, we have to start somewhere. If If one policy is put out to make you play a victim role, and you, you adopt that mentality, then you're already crippled. If another policy is put out and say, hey, you can make it on your own, do whatever you need to do, we're going to pull this back, you know, that's every nation that have ever thrived and became anything, they started on their own. So all this stuff about my white man is better than your white man is not, not even in my repertoire. And as, as well, another thing that you were saying, well, too, I tell you my what, interest... My interest, when I worked, I worked at Central Freight Lines, let me say this. I worked at the Central Freight Lines for uh, 10 years at a trucking company. And a lot of the brothers were upset with me because I never would get into their programs about what was going on with the company. Because my agenda was totally different. They they wanted to fight. I could care less what that company did. As long as they had my paycheck every two weeks when they were supposed to. Because my goal was to take my money from that company and build my own Make my own way. So I could care less what they did with their company. And so the same way when you're telling me about what they have in the white, I could care less what goes on in the white society. I'm a black man, and I'm, I'm around black people. That's what I deal with. And my, so my concern is what goes on with me and possibly black America. And I may even be losing that concern after a while because I don't care what you put to the black community. They're still not hearing it. So why am I wasting my time with the black community when I basically need to be focused on me, myself, and my family? Well, you know, you can play the lone wolf all you want to. And my thing is this. I'm like you. I think we should have already already had our own. And the question is, for us to go out here and say that the black people ain't doing what they need to do, yes, some of us are. But as a group, no, we aren't. And the thing is, until some of us smart individuals 
that's got the education and the talent get out here and help those and, sh- and, and share their knowledge with them to try and help them out, then, yeah, but those that don't want to be helped, I'm like you, leave them behind because that's what I've done. And like you, I've always made my way. I've always had businesses. And the thing that I'm saying is this. For us to chastise and insult and demean black folks saying that they're the ones that's sucking up all of this entitlement program money, that's just a lie. I gave you the facts. Now, you can, well, no, you can, you can take them if you it. want to, but nobody, no, it's all nobody right. said that they were the thing. only one. We that, that's, not, that's not the we, point. That's not the point, well, that they're the only one. The point is we're talking well, about our point? people. We're talking about the position of black America out of 13% of the population of what's going on. The problem we do have in the black community, which would probably would make it better, is that we seek to, to point the finger, and we never take on accountability and responsibility for where we are. We always look to put it off on someone else. And until we come to the point of accountability and responsibility as a whole, it'll never happen. Well, It'll never happen. It. We want to blame the white man for being in America, but yet we don't go back and talk about all the stuff that was going on between the tribes that caused us, because without that going on, wouldn't one African have been took, taken from the continent? Well, look, I ain't going back that far. I'm talking about what's here in America. And the thing is this. You can't say that the black man is, is, is trifling and, and not taking care of his business, because, look, there are evidence to show that there are some outside forces that keep us in this position. Now, it's up to us to yield to it. But the thing is, is this. Black people out here working just as hard as everybody else. Black folks is out here struggling just like everybody else. And to say that we're on the door, on the government door, is a damn lie. And the thing is, all you have to do, I just gave you the fact. And the thing is, yeah, we're 13% of the population. But, hell, if you look at it, the, the majority of the population and the majority of the people that's eating up these entitlement programs are white folks. And I just gave you the facts. Now, you can take them or leave them. Well, let me make a comment on that. You know, here's the thing. Whites make, up the, whites make up the majority of Congress who enact these programs. So, yes, they're going to do that things for their people. I don't blame them. I would, too. And also, Me those too. outside forces, the outside forces that you made mention of, you don't have to go too far outside because they look just like the blacks that they, atta- that they, that they thrive on. And these things That's do right. happen. Well, I ain't gonna call. Right. I ain't gonna call them that. They do what they want to do. That's they do what it is they want to do. That's what they want right. to do, and people let them do that. That's. I mean, that's just the way it is. But no, all You're blacks exactly is not right. going to continue. See, what well, one thing that Warren said, and I've seen that with this Ferguson thing that went on. Blacks who have a community. A area not far from Ferguson basically drew a line in the street and say you are not coming over in here with that mess. And that's what they supposed to do. They was not going to tolerate it. And Bianca, you had Donald Donald Trump and rich white folks do the same thing to poor white folks. Don't they sure do. I can. The, I work. I, I had some of the best. I had some of the best white tradesmen working for me. You made the mention about different, and I used to listen to them. I talk about the things that go on in their life, and hell, they have problems also. So the thing is, I don't care. I don't. I don't really concentrate on the statistics that whites encompass. I try to 
and I don't have to do this. You know, my kids don't have to go through this. My kids, my 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 kids did not know nothing about electricity being cut off. I mean, they did not come up, and I provided for them. I did what I was supposed to do. It was expected of me. It was expected for me to lead my grandson in the direction that we went. So that's right. But I do try, as I'm doing with the NSBE. I talk about the National Society of Black Engineers. When I went to that school last week and talked to the principal about having an opportunity to speak to parents at the third and sixth grade to lead their children into the STEM field, she hurt me. She said that only 10% of her third graders are reading at grade level. That kind of data, you know, affects me. Then I go to some red, black, and green proponents, some hotel proponents, and relate this to them and say that can't y'all go up there to the school? Some of your members go up there to the school and work individually with these students. Ain't heard jack from them. It's an African-centered curriculum school, something that they wanted to champion, and myself and some others made it possible. Bertha Gilkey is dead now. School is named partially after her. So these people talk, man. I get tired of hearing all that damn talk. Show me yeah. something. And me too. Yeah. And me too. They can't show and you, know you Jack. They just talk, talk, talk. Some of the most ridiculous things I ever heard about they want to have a separate nation. They ain't going to have separate nothing. Right. And if they did, who's going to protect it? I ain't coming to their nation and build no damn bridge. Yeah. And you know and, what, Bianchi? You know what? And that's the whole thing that all of us is, is guilty of, and, and all of us is talking included. All we do is just talk, 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 and do, don't do a damn thing. And my thing is, just like you, if we were so concerned about the condition of our black folks, we get in a room somewhere, we sit down, and we lay out a plan to have better schools. We lay out a plan to put businesses up in our neighborhoods. But all we do is just talk. And, then and you, know what else co- you know what and else, Comey? I showed them. Damn thing done. And I ain't going to get going on this too, too heavy. I showed them the uh, convention. I showed them the National Society of Black Engineers Convention 2018 magazine, 44th Annual Convention. And I showed them said, all these corporations, the top corporations where blacks with STEM fields go to, which includes the CIA and FBI, by the way, and all the other corporations, even Harley Davis is, is pulling these black engineers. And you know what this guy told me? Well, they're going to work for these corporations, but what are they doing for their people? And, you know, between me verbally telling him and not smacking him upside the head with my fist, I said their people are their immediate family. That's what they're supposed to do for us, beyond anything else. So, no, you just got some – go ahead, Warren. Well, let let me me say this. Uh, uh, now, one thing that I, if I don't agree with you on anything else, I agree with you about PACs. We don't have PACs. We need that. But I will say this, that I still support the Republican Party in the sense that it is changing the mindset. you got to first have a, 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 a businessman or career-type mindset. you got to first be able to – you can't take a, 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 a salesy and turn it into a silk purse. 
So if the, if this Republican Party is changing black people's mind to become independent, then I'm all for it. Once they start to become independent and can see and come together and want to put together PACs, political action committees, then fine. I'm with that. I'm, I'm not against PACs because I do understand politics is also money. And when black folks don't put no money in, you don't get nothing back. It's that simple. But as far as our people as a whole... Look, I, I'm part of Dr. Yosef Benyakinan's organization, so I know all the talk. I know I, being in the meetings, I didn't heard all of it. And look, I'm I'm just not impressed. I don't see movement. I myself put together the People's Law Study Group, and like I tell people, I went broke. I almost lost everything I had, thinking that I was doing something for the community because I'm looking at this so-called police brutality. I know how to beat this stuff. I done been to law school. I done studied this stuff. This is going to be my gift to the black community. I'm going to make it affordable, and therefore I can still make money off the quantity by teaching black folks the judicial system. I ended up broke. I ended up talked about. I ended up called a coon and this and that. Because So you can't deal with that. You, you, there is a barrier on the understanding. And so those that step across the other side and understand, then the other ones, they become jealous and upset. Oh, you coon, you stepping and fetching, you Stephen. You, it's crazy, completely crazy. Well, you know what I've always said? You can't take everybody with you. When I was in the Army, we had to leave some behind. And the thing is, is this. We can't go with that mindset that we're going to take everybody with us. So my, Jesus said, hey, if that house don't receive your message, Brush the, brush the dust off your sandals and move on to those that will. And my thing is this, but it don't mean that we got to demean and insult the whole race because of a few laggards that's out there that don't want nothing. And that's, that's the thing that I see. Because when I hear these black conservatives get on TV and, and look at them on TV, first thing the white boy does is pull them out of the toy chest and let them go ahead on and go to work. And it's about time we stop that. Hey, look. If if we can't do any good, don't do no harm. That's my thing. And all of those that's out here trying to work in the vineyard, then we got work to do, and the work and the work is is to be commended. And I commend you for what you try to do and what you're doing. But the thing is, it don't mean that we insult our people because the facts are there, and the facts is that we ain't the ones that's pulling in all of these entitlement dollars. And I'm getting in a course and tired. But people saying, hey, look, you know, we want small government because they think black folks are sucking up all of these entitlement dollars. And, you know, you can go everywhere you want to go with that. Well, I, I, think, well, it's, I think they're looking uh, at more Beasley, than... Now, Beasley, you're 100% right that the majority of people that are that are cashing in on these uh, entitlement programs are, I mean, really geared on a geometric scale white folks in the United States. No question about it. Um but I think we're at a state where, uh, and you're right, we can't take everybody with us. Um, I think though, I'm, I'm with the Booker T. Washington School of Thought. Basically, the people on an individual basis or on a family household basis, and I'm not going any higher than that, can start some type of business. I think that, I think over a period of, I don't know, Maybe a decade or so, and that, that's that's being very hopeful. Just a short ten years, there could be a critical mass change. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and look, brother, and you're, like, going, and you're going to have to uh, get with the children. See, the people that yeah. I want to reach, and I think the people that we all want to reach on this panel, it's not us. Okay, 
We're already out here doing our thing. It's people that are not us, and I, I think probably the best target market to reach is basically very young children. So we had to, we might have to open up nursery schools, daycare centers, after school programs, or something. Um, well, well, brother LA, look if you pull up the uh, if you pull up the uh, SBA, I think it's the S uh, the business survey statistics of the census. The most prolific uh, business creators in this country for the last five or six years have been black folk. So it's not like we ain't trying. It's just that we haven't built up these mega corporations like white folk. And to say that we're out here and we're sluggers and we're laggards, you know, it just upsets me to no end. Because the thing is this. Yeah, we got some, we got some people that's trifling. But so 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 is the other racial ethnic groups. Not as much, but we get publicized for it. And you know what? The thing is, is this. Yeah, we're thirteen percent of the population, and if we think that most of these programs was developed because of their sympathy for black folks, I got the Mojave Drawbridge. The Mojave does a drawbridge to say, because that's just not the case. Because these great society programs. They weren't meant for us. We got someone out of it. But they went down in Appalachia and all of these southern stations, all of these poor white folk, and they knew they had to do something. So with that being the case, we just need to be better informed when you get out here talking all you know, this uh, conservative bullshit. You know, you make, you make mention of black businesses, and that survey is done every five years. Last one was done in 2012, and the information right. on 27 came out. Blacks have 2,593,168 businesses. Number That's of paid right. employees, number of paid employees is 1,045,120. The annual right. payroll is 30, well, actually, the average annual payroll is $72,358.49. The okay. average for the black male is $133,035.62. The average for the black female is $28,860.39. Now, that's blacks, but these other ethnic groups are kicking their butt, including the Alaskan Indian and Alaskan Native. Now, one of the things that I concentrate, well, I, I, I try to talk about, we haven't put nothing in place other than what we're working with this one organization, that I don't see African-Americans in some of these industries. I don't see them in Marine. They are in forestry down in Georgia, but not to the great extent. But industries like Marine, industries like uh, has to do with the oceans and Marine biology, Marine architect, and, and communication, I don't see them there. They should be there. Now, I can understand why they're not there, but they should be there. And that's got to be what you have to work to make that happen. It's just exactly. not apparently the, whatever, apparently the means that should make it happen is not there. Therefore, the means have to be created to make it happen. And, Bianca, you're exactly right. And the thing is, we got a lot of work to do. And, and these Asians are kicking white folks' ass. This Asian exactly. female, this Asian yeah. female business is uh, two hundred sixteen thousand five hundred ninety-five dollars, 
when this white female business is a hundred and ninety-two thousand seven hundred eighty-four dollars. So, uh, you know what? We also you know, have uh, to define. We also need to define what is a true and real business. Now, in the steps that you gave, I don't consider self-employed a business. Self-employed, you own your job. I, get, I, I, I agree with something you. Where yeah, I a business is something that generates some passive income. You physically don't have to be there. You have employees and subcontractors, and that thing was with self-employed, which you own your job, and that's good. Owning your own job. That's, that's a big start for many. But that statistic mm-hmm. uh, that you gave, particularly for uh, African Americans, it might apply it across the board. I don't know how they did that to Cincinnati. But This is the uh, one they reported what, when the survey came out. Okay. Yeah. And probably ninety, at least ninety to ninety-five percent of that, that what they, they claim is business people, are really self-employed. They own a job, but that's not a business where they're cutting a paycheck and they can step away. Well, you almost got two and a half times more businesses than you have employees working. That don't make any dang don't sense. But uh, that's what that's what it says. But look, look, yeah. we, look, we all we all have come from many different angles. And we identify a problem. It's how we all choose to address that. But we are not the same. One person going to choose one way. Warren does what he do with the expertise he has, what he has on. You do what you do, L.A., with the off-grid housing and so on and so on. So, But we have to all agree that we got to do much better than what we're doing because these immigrants coming in here, they do not have no sensitivity to all these things that we throw up there. No Jim Crow, no segregation, no slavery. They don't have no sensitivity to that. They are here for one thing, to stomp you down into the mud as much as they possibly can so they don't get their shoes muddy. And I think Bianca, it was it was an article you just put up the other day. If 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 racism, white supremacy is so bad, why is Nigerians coming here doing as well as they're doing? You know, they're black. If they're being targeted, why are they? You know, <laughs> you know. And you know speaking what? of Asians, speaking of Asians, you, you know what? You know, you know what? That argument is always put forward. But if you go over in those countries. It's foreigners that control their economy. So now, if if they're doing that great in this country, why come they don't do it in the country where they're from? And I'm not well, mocking them, but the thing well, is, they, is they, this. one thing they do, they come here. They they come here. They they, they take the commerce in their in their countries. So now they yeah, they, they come they here and they take they advantage of the opportunities that we have here. We here we well, here fight they, the opportunities that we have. Well, and a lot of them, when they make their money, they send it back home. Yeah, but the ones that's over there is 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 fighting opportunity over there where they at because the foreigners is is controlling commerce in the countries where they come from. But my thing is this: I'm not worried about them. I'm just talking about my community. And the thing is, like Pianca said, yeah, we got a lot of work to do. And I I live by this philosophy: there's no such thing as a problem. A problem is only a situation to make things better. And yeah, you have your expertise. Pianchi has his, Brother L.A. has his, but we very rarely get together to work, make sure that these talents are working in, in, in unison to do what we need to do to take control of the space we occupy. And that's our problem. Because like Brother L.A. says, 
Everybody in the black community is a lone wolf. I got mine. I'm getting mine. And the thing is, you got yours to get. And until we get away from that philosophy, these foreigners, like Bianca said, is going to kick our ass, and they're doing it. And the other thing is this. Brother L.A. brought up another point. The reason why we don't do businesses where we can cut checks for one another is because we don't put our money together to do what we need to do to build these big box stores. And i give you an example. He played that Umar Johnson uh, uh, thing a couple of few minutes ago. Every Sunday, we put billions of dollars in white banks. And white banks take that money and build their communities and other communities. And until we get that straightened out, we're always going to be behind the eight ball. And us sitting here bickering with one another, we need to get out there and start talking to these darn preachers and these deacons to try and put that money in a war chest to put up the type of businesses to go in and where we can hire people in our communities. Connie, let, let me comment on it real quick. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think what's happening on a critical mass basis, not anybody that's on this, this, listening today, and then uh, Viata wants to say something. Uh, on a critical mass basis, I think, because, uh, you know, I listen to podcasts and blogs and all that's like uh, we all do. And I think the problem is, on a critical mass basis, black African Americans are looking at what other people do and exactly. what other people do and want to get on other people's platforms instead of looking at what do I have to work with. One example, and I'm not bad-mouthing them, but you're like Dr. Umar Johnson, not bad-mouthing them. You know, I'm Monday morning quarterbacking on this one. He's got over $700,000, okay? Now, in my opinion, open, start small. I've said this on this podcast before. You, sorry, you got you went to the the river and you got over seven hundred thousand dollars. So obviously, black folks believe in. All right, open up one little storefront school and get the troll, get some of the trolls off of your back, and then grow into your business. Okay, but you know, so I'm bringing that back to like on an individual basis, and we're going to hear you know whatever your vision is. Work with whatever that first step might be, just to birth it, and then grow it step by step. Be honest, if you're on the line, you had, you had, you had a comment to make. Uh, yes, uh, I agree with uh, most of what you brothers are saying, but um, I have to look at my father as an example of how we should move forward. Uh, we have a shortage of good teachers in our school system. I think the the area we need to focus on is our youth because a lot of adults are their way past being helped. They're, they're out of our, our um, range for changing things. So, you know, my dad started in the NFL in the 40s as one of very few black players back then. And he could have gone on to be a, a, more of a superstar, but he had an injury that caused him to retire and raise a family and then go on to teach for almost 30 years in a public high school in Chicago, teaching kids uh, physical education and being a football coach and being the um, 
the uh, athletic director for that school. He influenced thousands of youth. And how I know that, because I still hear from them today. Uh, And he's still alive. He's healthy for the most part at 94 years old. So when I look at him, he didn't go for the big dollars or owning his own business because he realized that was not for him. That would be too stressful. He wanted to help the kids to learn how to uh, live a life that would be uh, influential in other areas and so forth. So it's nice to talk about owning your own business, but I think where the focus has to be on having good teachers in our public education system that will help these youth make the decision that will not bring them more stress but will bring them into their divine purpose because that's where – we have to look at now spiritually is what am I here to do? Why am I here? Uh, everybody doesn't need to own their own business, but we need to have, we need to train and educate students and youth to know, yeah, that's something you might be able to do because you have these skills, you have this motivation, you have this passion. So I think what we have to do is remember the youth, we have to train the youth to be discerning and to go for their passion, not for what everybody thinks they need to be doing, but to do what they've been divinely called to do so they can influence the next generation and stop all this madness that we have going on right now. That's my comment. Well, Viola, all right, I agree with you, but, but all right, let's throw this out here, too. Let's, let's elevate the picture a little bit. All right, public education is essentially school with politics. And that's a whole nother podcast in itself. We've got to talk about the ideas that people have on this platform and on people's individual blogs and all this other stuff. We have to cut out the politics and go direct. Like, for instance, what my, uh, uh, Warren Houston's People's Law Study Group, in other words, it should be in public schools, in my opinion, from grades 1 through 12, something about law. Law literacy, that's what I'm going to call the class However If he put that in there Less people would be arrested Less people would be shot That means the NRA couldn't promote this Less lobbyists would be out of work You're talking about if that but What we're talking about on this panel Or what, or what Warren Houston talked about With the people if, if black folks alone became law literate How many businesses Gun businesses Lobbyists, politics. How many people would go out of business? How many? How many judges would would be out of a job? How many police chiefs would be out of a job if black people became law living through the public education school system? Is not going to happen, in my opinion, in the United uh, States because okay, of the politics. I'm, I'm therefore, saying, therefore, we have I'm to start online and and break them yeah. any way we can do it. We have to educate direct and cut off the government. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm, the public school system as it is today is totally broken and dysfunctional in my opinion. So, no, I'm not talking about putting people in this broken system. I'm talking about we have to learn, re, reform our own educational system for the new for youth coming up. Yeah, I would not, I'm not talking, yeah, if, if Houston is going to be teaching law, he can't teach it in the broken public school system we have today. No, we have, well, could I say something? we have to focus on educating our children in a new way. Could I say you know, something? Yeah, yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah, listen to this very closely. 
you can't do nothing without money. And there's a set prescribed <laughs> way that you have to go about to get money. And you're right. If you if public schools, you cannot bring up the topic to teach about taking power from another group in public schools. They're not going to allow that. I don't even care if it's black principal, administrative, district. They are not going to allow that. Blacks need to have a consortium of black business people, of black investors that will fund your idea. Your idea has to be complete. Another thing, this thing about black supermarkets, until blacks own everything or at least take a part in producing the things that you're selling in that supermarket, you're still going to be vulnerable to the forces that you are competing against. I've seen that here in St. Louis with Sterling Market. But this thing is, you got to have money. You got to produce people that can go out into the workplace and have the viable, well-paying, well-salaried jobs. You got to comp- you have to create that family structure. Then mm-hmm. you are able to go off into some of these Bingo. ventures that I hear people talking about all the time. This stuff, there's no shortcut to this. I'm just sorry. It just isn't. Right, right. Right. And and, and uh, just to piggyback off that, Viata, it's a great idea, but Pianchi was basically spoke what I was thinking, is that in order to have teachers, you got to first have the family structure. And that's the problem. That has been obliterated. This black family has been totally obliterated. So... I, I don't know if it's even possible to get that back in, but if we have family structure, um, you know, that means a man that is head of the household and raising his children and giving them the discipline they need. And, you know, I, I just don't know. I, I really don't know. Well, well, you know, baby boomers are in a position to teach what exactly what we're talking about here. We have experienced the 60s, the 70s, some of us the 50s, I don't know about that, but we are in a position to start teaching these things, and that's why we do Ball Talk Radio. We've got to put this into action. So uh, that's my opinion. Okay, all right. Well, um, we got good feedback from everybody uh, on Black Six Underground Railroad 2.0, some Good uh, commentary has come about. Um, just to give you an update on this, and my shipment has come in for my um, uh, what I was talking about yesterday. Uh, what, what is it? Foundation and floor framing. So we'll go over that tomorrow, and I'll, I'll have the pictures and some video up uh, uh, on Facebook tomorrow, so we we can talk about that. On that note, it's uh, a little bit after 12 noon here on the East Coast, and 11 is lunchtime. I usually don't take a lunch break, though. But in any event, it's midday. And I, 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 some of you diehards have been up since, like, you've been up four, five, six hours. So on that note, everyone, thank you for calling in, listening in, and participating. On that note, everyone have a good rest of the day. 